You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get straight into it because I've got a lot to say. I need to do a bit of a disclaimer on this message. I appreciate that Pastor Katie said you're in for a treat. However, I've got to say, I want to position you rightly. It's true, it will be a treat if the treat is turning up, trick-or-treating to the dentist's house and getting some toothpaste on Halloween. So it's going to be that kind of treat. It may not feel good in the moment, but it's going to do you good in the long term. And I don't know why I keep getting these messages. I constantly pray that Samuel will get them, maybe next week. He keeps getting the nice ones where everybody want to flock around him afterwards. You're so amazing. You're so amazing. And I have to like flee into the, into the parking lot after the service. But I'm going to go for it. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it. Okay? Now it's, now it's good old home cooking, down home truth. You ready for some of that? Sprinkled with enough of my own stories that you'll be able to just just laugh and lull at all the crazy things your pastor did um, and has lived to tell the tale. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to you nice and hot out of the oven from my own personal quiet time. I'm not giving you that old bread that you find in the freezer that has the freezer burn on it that you cook up anyway because you're desperate for toast. It's gonna be some good fresh baked bread. You ready? All right, nothing but the best for God's beautiful people. Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. <clears throat> I have a bit of a sore throat, so I'm just saying, you know, not COVID, but I may, I may squeak like a pubescent boy occasionally throughout this, just know why. All right. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day, somebody say this day. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other words, I have gotten the residue of slavery off you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped there and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. They were peeking in, peeking into the promised land. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread, parched grain on the very same day. Now pay attention here. Then the manna ceased on the day they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land in Canaan that year. Manna? We all need it for a season. We all need it. Sometimes we're going to be surviving off. Oh, dear God, I need a check in the mail. I need a bag of groceries up my doorstep. But I want to tell you today, that is not God's ultimate goal for his children. There, there will be a season, but every single one of us will come to a point in our lives where the manna ceases. And you know what? It's good that it ceases. Because manna should sustain you, yes, but not satisfy you. We, we see even when we read about the Israelites when they kept getting manna. And in the beginning they were pumped. Manna tasted great. But by day seven they were like, oh, we cannot even stand to look at any more of this miserable manna. Anna was right that they felt that way. 
because it was only meant to sustain them, not satisfy them. God had something more for them. He had something more for his children than existing off a welfare food stamp distribution from heaven every single day. He's like, you know what? I've worked that slavery residue off you. When you're in Egypt, you were surviving under evil overlords who would decide when you woke up and when you went to bed, what you ate and what you didn't get to eat. They said who, they said when, they said who. But now I've brought you out of Egypt and you are at the very precipice of your promised land. And now the man is going to cease because you have provided simply just off my hand. But now we're going to see what your hand can do. Let's see what's in your hand. Because God's a good parent. You know, when I was growing up, I'm one of five girls. My parents are Christians and they were savage in all the best ways. So we're five daughters, girls, not even boys. But there was a rule that by the time we left school, high school, that we had a year to get our stuff together because then we were out the house. By 19, these five little grey girls in Australia had to make life work for themselves. We had to leave the dependency of the manor distributed by my loving mother and father and we needed to put our own hands to work and start to eat the produce of a new land that God was bringing us into. And if I see anything today in America, this beautiful nation of America that needs to be addressed and spoken about in large audiences, it's the lie of socialism, communism. And I'm, I'm not trying to be obnoxious like a good parent because that is literally what God has positioned Pastor Jürgen and I and Matt and Michaela and others to be, to be spiritual parents to you guys because we love you. We're going to tell you the truth and we're not going to shy away from the things that will either make you or break you. And so there's a lie out there and it comes in, it's, it's such a perfect lie because it comes in and it's wheeled in. And you can only do this, by the way, in prosperous nations. It's only a land like America where you can actually even float the idea of socialism. And they push it in in this Trojan horse that says fairness. Oh, and it sounds so noble and it sounds so righteous. But you know, at its root, it literally is a spirit of envy. So we're not going to reward you for your hard work. We just want everybody to have the same thing, which never works anyway because it doesn't account for the greed of men. So the greedy and the corrupt get rich and the poor stay poor. And and really the agenda of socialism at the end of the day is just control. And during this this COVID season, we have had a three-month free trial of what it would look like to live in a communist nation. And I'm not sure about you, but I'm not having it. So I just want to bring, I'm going to bring a real practical message today on what to do when the manna ceases. I really think this is what, this is what, Uh, separates the men from the boys, the girls from the women. What happens when the manna ceases and it's now up to your hand to provide for yourself? What happens? All right. I'm going to give you uh, four points this morning, four very practical points that you've probably heard before on what to do when the manna ceases. And before you yawn and say, oh my gosh, so boring and simple. Listen, I'm going to keep speaking the simple stuff till we get it. And in fact, I would say that it needs to be constantly spoken of throughout time 
so this emerging generation understands how America became America and what are the true principles of God that if we apply to our life, we too can eat the fruit of the the land that God has positioned us in. The first one is this. Write it down. This is a good tattoo to get, okay? Number one, have a good work ethic. Have a good work ethic. Look at this. Proverbs 22, 29. Take notes during this message. Show me someone who does a good job and I will show you someone who is better than most and worthy of the company of kings. Can you believe that? Solomon, the wisest man in the world, wrote that scripture. Show me someone who does a good job and I will show you someone who is better than most. We could just stop right there. Do you know there are positions vacant right across Southern California today? For someone with a good work ethic. My husband and I have built several houses over our lifetime and over our marriage. And I tell you, there is a position vacant for a contractor, a builder, a landscaper, an electrician, a plumber that actually does what they say they're going to do, turns up where they're meant to be when they said they were going to be there, delivers on their promises and honors their word. Well, I don't have the skills. Can you keep your word? You're already like a quantum leap ahead of most people if you just do what you say you're going to do and be where you said you were going to be. Yes! A good work ethic. What about doing the jobs that that don't spark joy? Oh, I just didn't like it. Oh, my God, I just didn't like it. So what? Do something you don't like for a bit well and you'll find that doors of opportunity will constantly open. I worked at McDonald's for three years making fries and cleaning up other people's mess. And you think, well, that's a show what, whatever. God sees. But what if man doesn't notice me? It doesn't matter. God sees. God sees. He looks down. He says, I like her. Look at her doing what nobody else will do. Instead of sitting at home and complaining that her parents should give her more allowance, more pocket money, she gets out there at 14 and she works at McDonald's, scraping off the pickles that surfers like Jürgen would put on the mirrors when they came to visit McDonald's after they'd surfed. I did it. A good work ethic. There is a position vacant in this city for people with a good work ethic. And doing things that nobody else will do. Do you know every day there is an opportunity created, a space, a gap made for those of you who have ingenuity and allow the Spirit of the Lord to live and awaken you, excuse me, there it goes, and awaken you to what is the potential around you. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. There's a scripture in the book of Joshua that talks about the mighty men. So God speaks to Joshua and he says, I want you to get the mighty men, the men of war, and I want you to have a march around the walls of Jericho for six days, six times every day, right? For six days. Can you imagine if you're a mighty man and you know what's in you? You got the goods to take people out. You got the sword and you've been sharpening that bad boy. You are itching for a fight. You got muscles on your muscles on your muscles. You are literally all the hashtags, beast mode, lions and tigers at the gym. That's you. And then God says, but I want you to march. Mar- I'm, um, hello. I didn't sign up to be in the marching band. Hello. 
There's people for that. That's girls' work. But your ability to have a good work ethic and even do the mundane, you mean we're marching, but I'm a fighter and you're making me march. Do you know what separates the successful from those people that aren't successful? They understand the ebbs and flows of work. They're willing to do the mundane. It doesn't spark joy. We've got such a spoiled generation because they won't do the unsexy jobs. But they don't realise it puts a steel and a tenacity and a perseverance on the inside of them that will serve them well as they walk forward into their future. Good work ethic. Come on. Look what Proverbs 24, 30 to 34 says. I went by the field of the lazy man. And if you're smart, you'll learn from other people's mistakes. And by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. What are we looking at here? We're looking at potential. He had a vineyard. He had a field. But because he didn't steward it well, he didn't work hard. What has God given you? The stone wall was broken down. He had a wall, at least he had a flipping wall, but it was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, a little calling in sick day after day, pressing the snooze button more times than you should pushing your employer's patience to the pity limit, so shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an unarmed man. Laziness produces poverty and poverty produces envy and envy produces strife. This is where socialism comes from. I envy the person with the hard work ethic. So instead of doing what they did, I'd rather just make it a law that I get a piece of what you have. That doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. God is looking for a culture and let it start in the church of people with a strong work ethic. Come on. Yes. And amen, Leanne. Well done. Right, I'll drink to that. Right, point number two. When the manna ceases, do you have gratitude? Gratitude. Are you grateful? One of the biggest blights of our current society and generation is a lack of gratitude and the rise of entitlement or expectation. And it's really wicked and it's everywhere. And as parents and as people, we're going to have to be really intentional about guarding our hearts to make sure it doesn't inflict our spirits. The other day I had a conversation with my 12-year-old daughter Now, she's blessed to go to a really great private Christian school. Uh, There's a lot of wealthy kids at her school. And she came home one day and she said, Mom, um, so I've got my list of the things I want for Christmas. I said, oh, great. Okay, well, let's see what we can give to Santa. And um, she said, yeah, I want a Gucci purse. (laughs) To start with, I do not even have a Gucci purse. But I gotta be honest, I gotta be honest, even if I had the money to buy her a Gucci purse, I would not be buying her a Gucci purse. But you know what I've noticed as I've walked around? A lot of 12 year olds 
with Gucci purses. How are you gonna appreciate life and learn the beautiful joy of working toward a reward if you just give your flipping kids a Gucci purse? I, I, I told you, it's tight, but it's right. I don't, nobody else is saying this, but I will say this because you will damage your kids. And I see them walking around these teenagers with Gucci belts. Unless you got that off Amazon and it's faux and it's 25 bucks, you got no business wearing that around your waist. What are you doing, a $400 belt? Come on. If you worked your little tail off babysitting for that thing, that's another story. But mum and dad, don't make it hard on your kids. Make it easier for them. Let them work towards a reward. I uh, started working before it was legal in Australia. I babysat from 10, back in the day when it was like appropriate to let 10 year olds babysit your newborn. I, I like work every weekend for a dollar an hour and a bar of chocolate. And then when I was 14, I got a job, as I said, at McDonald's. And I had an opportunity to, to go to a theme park in Australia, their one theme park called Australia's Wonderland, which sadly did not survive the COVID shutdown. So it's, it's no more. And I, you know what, I knew better not to even ask my parents for money to go because I knew what they'd say. Well, you save up and you can absolutely go. And so I worked my little tail off. I babysat those babies. I cleaned up those dirty diapers. I did whatever it took. I got $40. I'm telling you, nobody could steal the smile off my face and the appreciation and the gratitude when I walked into Australia's Wonderland and I got to spend the entire day from the time it opened to the time it shut, you could not wipe the smile off my face. I walked out of that place at closing time like uh, Jim Carrey out of Dumb and Dumber with the big old hat and the ping pong paddle. <laughs> Having the time of my life. Inevitably, I would have been surrounded by other little bratty kids who got it because their parents, eh, wine, 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 complain, eh, I want a hot dog. I was like, living my best life. <laughs> because my parents taught me hard work ethic. I had a gratitude. Have you lost your gratitude today? You know a simple way to get gratitude back into your family? Say grace. I I don't wanna judge people, but I'm about to judge people. (laughs) Because you know what I notice a lot of Christians don't say grace. They just sit down and start feeding their face. What is wrong with you? Yeah, that food didn't just magically appear there. Number one, somebody worked for it. Mum, dad, whoever it may be. But God blessed the ground and gave you the ability to get wealth. Everything you have is because of the goodness of God. You teach your kids, we say grace, we don't just sit down and start eating. Thanks, get, get one of your babies to do it. Thank Jesus for the food. I mean, and they it's pray the most hysterical graces of all time. It's excellent, it's entertaining, and it's good for their soul. But to start an an atmosphere, and I gotta be honest with you, there are times where I am ungrateful, but I tell my soul, I don't let my soul set itself. I set the temperature of my soul to gratitude. I refuse to be ungrateful. I refuse, oh God, just like King David, why is my soul so downcast within me? I will yet praise God. I will yet be grateful for this life I get to give, live. And there are times, there are times when I don't feel it, but I say it anyway. And it's not being disingenuous. I am setting the culture in my home and my own spirit. I am a grateful woman. And I will just sometimes just say, ah, oh, life is beautiful. Baby, 
Thank you for being such a hard worker. Thank you for being such a diligent steward with every dollar that has come through our home to give me the life I have today. There are times that I I don't appreciate what I have. Can I say to you, wives, husbands, are you appreciative for the opportunities that the other has afforded your family? Have you taught your children to be the same, to have that spirit of gratitude? We can forget how blessed we are to live in this nation. There's a whole uprising of people who just want to complain and carry on and talk about how America is the worst place on earth and that they're going to leave and then they never do actually leave. (laughs) It's hysterical. You know, you can tell the quality of a nation by how many people are trying to get into said nation. And I'm not saying this to judge, but there's not a whole lot of people trying to sneak into Iran right now. Whereas when I was naturalised... Two years ago, my husband and I are American citizens. We stood in a room, yes, very, very grateful to be a resident of this great land. We stood in a room with thousands of other people. We were the only two Australians as we pledged allegiance to the flag. Many of them standing there from places like the Middle East and and nations that are under the grip of tyranny and control with tears streaming down their face. Do you appreciate and are you grateful for the land you get to call home? So many people would love to be in your shoes. You are so blessed. Never forget how blessed you are. Never, ever forget how blessed. Don't resent her. Don't judge her. Thank God that you're here and use your position to help people, but not to disparage this nation that so many people are desperate to get to. Can you be grateful today? I think you can. What else do I want to tell you on that? I I want to tell you another thing. Here's something that I noticed as someone who was a foreigner moving to America from Australia. In Australia, manners and the Commonwealth, manners are a a great virtue and value. I was shocked, and I want this to challenge you today. Maybe it's not you, but, but, but let it hit you if it is you. When I went out to eat, how many people, how many natives, nationals, would sit at the table and not say thank you when a plate of food was put in front of them? Oh yeah, give me a, give me a, give me a carb salad. Give me a, give me a, put the dressing on the side. Give me the fried chicken without the fried. And then they'll put it down in front of him and nothing. No, absolutely no indication that there is any gratitude whatsoever that this person has. Well, I'm paying and so what? It doesn't matter. Instill a spirit of gratitude in you. When you, thank you, please, thank you. Open the door for people. Say hello, tip your hat. Oh, you'd change the world if we have a little bit of gratitude. Amen, I'm trying, I'm trying. This, this voice. Come on, we can be really grateful. I've got to tell you a funny story about my niece and nephew. So um, my brother-in-law is a pilot. He flies for Cathay Pacific. He's a captain. So that means that he and his family get to fly wherever they go, usually in first class. It's a sweet life. And so um, my sister took her family, my brother-in-law, my sister, and her two kids. They all went to Africa. They did the South Africa tour, and then they went and visited their sponsor children in Africa. (laughs) 
Never forget Linda telling me the whole time her kids are complaining. They flew first class the whole way, stayed in a beautiful hotel, got a hookup with, uh, I believe it was, um, World Vision to go see their sponsored children. They walk up through the dust, look it around, see this like hut, these kids, I mean, happy as little clams. They got nothing between them. They're kicking a, an old soccer ball around like they're the happiest people on planet Earth. My niece and nephew walk up. They see the, the mud hut, mud floor, and a few chickens pecking around. And my niece goes, oh, they get chickens? Oh, Mom, how come we don't have chickens? I want chickens. Linda was like, she, if, the, if the ground could have swallowed up her entitled ungrateful, like you literally flew first class, have stayed in five-star hotels, and you come upon somebody's poverty and you're jealous of their chickens. That's what socialism in America is right there. So let's guard ourselves and our children against that so that wicked spirit doesn't infect or hurt the next generation. And she gave him a spank, which she should. And that's another thing. We need to spank our kids again because some kids do not respond to the timeout. I'm telling you. Some of them do. Some kids, look, I'm not saying it's a rule at Awaken Church, but I will say, am I right, Anthony? See? But I got spanked every day. Every day. And look, I don't think that we should be horrible. And look, I grew up in the era where other people's parents were allowed to spank you. I got spanked by two different neighbours on the same day. And I, because I was na naughty, naughty girl. I remember going home and telling my mum, mum, Uncle Noel and Mrs Dodds both spanked me today. Well, what'd you do? I told her and she's like, yeah, well, you deserved it. They did the right thing. That's why they won't let me in kids' church because I'd be spanking all the kids. It was the way I was raised. I can't hang out in that foyer too long because I will be judging you all. Judging you all. I can't bear it. Oh, what? They're cute. They're not cute. They need a spank. I used to travel around with a wooden spoon in my handbag. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I'd find the closest restroom when those boys would, they'd muck up, they'd be fighting. In the aisles, I'd be like, number one, you know that they sell wooden spoons here, right? <laughs> there is a wooden spoon aisle. Number two, I came packing, I came prepared, <laughs> and I will haul your naughty behind into the closest restroom. And we don't, we, we save them from, from spanks because we don't want to hurt their feelings, but then they don't realise that life spanks you and you won't handle it if you didn't get a nice kind one from mama on that bottom that was made for spanking first. All right, that brings me into my next point. The ability, what do you do when the manna ceases? You find the ability to withstand some hardship. Listen to this. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Let's learn a lesson from that. Let's not let the good times that strong men create lead us to be people who become weak, who then create hard times for strong men to clean up. 
Let's not be adverse to some hardship. Do you know what, uh, what it means when you're alive? You know the privilege you get for living? A level of suffering. I wish it wasn't true. But if we train our children to be adverse to hardship and never expect any level of pushback or obstacle, do you know that they've actually come up, or they've, they've coined the phrase, snowplow parenting? So it was helicopter, making sure everything's A-OK all the time, hovering. But now it's snowplow. So add to the, cop, the, the chopper some snowplowing. So I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to remove every obstacle. So you never, ever have to experience failure, disappointment, embarrassment, rejection, failure, none of those things. I'm going to push them all down. And then I'm going to shake my head in dismay and go, what happened? when you have absolutely no backbone, when you leave the house and you can't handle anything. You're gonna have to teach your kids how to handle some stuff. I mean, again, my parents were excellent at this. And I hated it when I was a kid. All the nice moms giving their kids stuff and storming down to the school and giving the teacher what for. My mother never did a good storming. In fact, I remember having an issue with one of my school teachers. And he was, you know, he, he just had a bee in his bonnet about something. And he would, he would carry on and just, you know, be a little bit picky and snipey at me. I remember going home to mum, telling her about it. She said, well, Leanne, I can do one of two things. I can storm down there and give Mr Evans a piece of my mind, or I could let you handle it and teach you the valuable lesson that sometimes in life we're going to go through unfair, unjust moments. Oh, dang it. I still wanted her to go down, but she didn't. I guess I was getting point two, whether I liked it or not. But it actually put a strength on the inside of me that has served me so well as I've gone through life. Another time when I was working at McDonald's, my manager, and in those days I was 14 as an employer, but the managers were like 19 and 20, hardly mature. He was disrespectful to me, genuinely disrespectful. And I remember thinking, what? I'm a princess, I'm a child of God, and I am a woman, hear me roar, I do not have to put up with this. And I went out to the staff room and I grabbed my bag and I didn't even clock out and I walked off my shift and I walked home mad as a hatter. And then my mum was in the kitchen when I got home. Now this is mum that spanked me daily and wouldn't defend me in front of my teacher and sent me back to school anyway. She's standing there staring. She's like, I didn't think your shift ended for another four hours. I'm like, no, I quit. Rob Shakatano was mean to me. He disrespected me. And now in another, if it had been a couple of years earlier, she would have grabbed that same spoon she was staring stirring with and spanked me with it but now I was 14 I was past spanking age so she just put it down she said get in the car get in that car I am driving you down just because somebody's a jerk doesn't mean you get to walk out on your responsibilities it's good for you get in the flipping car I look tragic there I was in my blue navy blue McDonald's uniform with them with a visor on skulking as mum drove me back and I had to walk in and plead like Oliver Twist for my job back. I think the manager was so shocked that this was actually happening that he gave it to me. But I learned a valuable lesson. 
one that's sorely lacking here today, you're gonna have to go through some adverse situations and you can't throw in the towel when it happens. We, we wonder, we wonder why there's so much anxiety, so much addiction, so many ailments that our young people are facing. It's not their fault, it's ours. We've not raised them to have an understanding that life is gonna include suffering and hardship sometimes. And we were actually created to do hard things. You're not a lightweight. You're not some lily-livered, tossed to and fro, pansy floating in the wind. You are a strong oak and the Lord is with you and He's in you and He can carry you through any season of disrespect and injustice. Just stay the course, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna make it through. And all of heaven is watching to see how you respond when unkindness hits, when the jerk at the office makes life hard for you. Sure, stand up for yourself, but don't walk out the door. I have seen nothing greater than hardship strengthen and make a person. One of the abortion uh, arguments is this. Well, if we bring children into the world that aren't wanted, they end up in foster care and they are literally sentenced to a life of suffering. And? And? So we're gonna kill someone because there is the potential that they could suffer in life. Do you know what I've realised? Suffering is not a disqualifier. In fact, it can be the greatest qualifier for your future. Do you know that Steve Jobs was an unwanted child? Do you know that many of the greats, the signature of their life isn't that they were born with a silver spoon on the mouth, but the fact that they weren't. And they had to walk through a whole lot of crap before they ended up allowing that crap to become fertilizer that made their life fruitful, that made their life prosperous, that made them live in a level of blessing that most of us would be envious of. Suffering won't take you out unless you let it. And just remember in the story of the Israelites, even though God stopped the manna, He never stopped giving them His presence. His hand was still there. He was still bringing them through. But we gotta make this shift in our society so we don't raise weak men and women who, who fold like a deck chair when the heat gets turned up. You are strong. Jesus lives on the inside of you and overcomer lives on the inside of you. You gotta understand, you gotta have the ability to withstand hardship when the manna ceases. Paul said this to Timothy. Now, Timothy was raised by women. He was raised by a mother and a grandmother. And he, he could get a bit timid, probably because he was overly mothered. He was probably henpecked a little bit. This is me just kind of reading between the lines. But Paul had to grab him by the scruff of the neck and say to him, Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You got this, Timothy, come on. I know your mom made your bed every day and you came home to three square meals and someone did your ironing, but come on, it's time to, to straighten up. It's time to toughen up. It's time to get a backbone. You can do this. You can endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. And finally, you hanging in there? Me too. Voice is holding out. I won't be able to scream at Jürgen when I get home, which I'm, you'll probably be thrilled about. Point number four. 
Get your own house in order. Here's the problem with social justice. Social justice looks for injustice everywhere except within. Oh, I'm gonna, oh, oh, I'm gonna tell you what's up. I'm gonna tell you how you need to change in order for the world to be a better place. But it's actually, it's not Jesus justice. Do you know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter seven, verses three to five? Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. Somebody say, deal with them. And then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. When injustice hits, when hard times hit, when the manna ceases, some people look outward. They blame others. They put their hand out. You should be doing more for me. But a godly person, a person who truly understands how God made the world works work to work, will not point the finger out, but point it within. What can, what can I do differently? When injustice and fires and chaos surrounds, do we point our fingers or do we go, wow, am I a contributor? Imagine if every person instead of hitting the streets, and I got nothing against protests, let me just qualify this statement with that, actually first went home and did what King David did. Oh God, search me, know me, test my every anxious thought and see that there be no wicked way within me, on the inside of me. We can't change other people and we will torment ourselves trying, but we can change ourselves. We can change ourselves. Do you know the greatest way to fix the world is stop trying to fix the world and let God fix you. Everybody just close your eyes for a second as we come to a close. I wanna ask you this question as we come to a close. It's time to get our own house in order. Get our own house in order. People piping off and pointing fingers and carrying on, making accusations. What if America just stopped and everybody just went back to their own house and had a moment with God, a moment of healthy self-reflection and introspection with the Holy Spirit? What can I change? What one thing can I do right now to fix myself, my life, which will inevitably fix the world around me. Do I procrastinate? Do I always show up late? Do I tell people I'm gonna do things and then not do them? Do I overspend? Do I have a problem with overspending? Am I easily offended and do I hold resentments? Am I unkind? Am I hateful? Is there prejudice in me? Imagine if everybody stopped pointing their finger and just asked the Lord, 
What is in what one thing can I change right now about me? It's easy to blame the world, but it takes courage and discipline to actually allow the spotlight come on your own heart and your own life. And that's truly how we're going to change America. Not by setting out on a justice mission. The world has tried that. We've taught them justice, but we haven't taught them personal responsibility. And you don't have true justice without the righteousness of personal responsibility. That's why Jesus said, don't point out the speck in the eye of your brother. I want you to focus on the dirty, great big redwood sticking out of your own eyeball. First have that moment of introspection. What is in me, God? Allow me to remove that enormous tree and then you will see clearly. It's so perfect, Jesus puts it so perfectly because then you won't stand with judgment and self-righteousness. You'll understand there but for the grace of God go I. So when you go about the business of justice, you are compassionate, you're kind, you're understanding because I was there once too. And that's the problem we see in the world today. They're trying to execute justice, but they're doing it with a freaking log in their eye. And it's ugly. And we've got to get first things first. First, take out the log. And then you're going to see clearly, you're going to have the, the right objectivity. Oh my gosh, I see that speck. And I have compassion on you because that was me once. And trust me, I had the speck and then some. It was like, it was like Yosemite up in there. But, but Jesus came in and stepped in, let me help you now. And now you've got the right attitude, the right heart posture, the right mindset. Instead of being a judgy judgeson, instead you're, you're, you're moving for justice with heart, with a heart of compassion. And no Starbucks windows have to get broken in the process. We can see real change because we let the change start with us first. Can somebody say a big old amen and give God a shout? Because I can't, because I got a sore throat, but you can. And you can receive this word today because it's the word of the Lord for us, for America. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, on that day, we will stand before God to give an account for our own lives. You're not gonna be able to blame other people. You're not gonna be able to say it's because I wasn't given the opportunity because this or because that or because this person. God is gonna make it so, especially in this great nation, the pursuit of happiness that you're given opportunity. I can't promise you an equal outcome. That depends on you. But you will be given an equal opportunity. All right, that's enough for you to chew on. Why doesn't everybody stand and lift their hands? And we'll pray. Father, I thank you, God, to start with. We're grateful for you. We're grateful to be citizens of the kingdom that regardless of what atmospheres or environments we find ourselves in on planet Earth, You are with us. Father, it was You who led the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery, into the Promised Land. And then the manna ceased and You said, all right, let's see what You remember. You've existed purely off my hand, but now I wanna see what Your hand can do. And trust me, God's hand will never stop being outstretched before You, but what can Your hand do? Oh, He put a big old brain in your head. He put dreams in your conscience. He made you and created you with beautiful gifts. Oh, I'm only a one talent person, so am I. But I tell you what, I didn't bury that one talent on the ground. I worked it, baby, worked it. I worked it, baby, worked it. I can only do one or two, three, or three things well, 
but I make sure that whatever I put my hand to, I do it with all my might, just as the scripture says. And I'm telling you, God opens doors that no man can shut. Father, bless them, open their eyes to see. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for this nation. We will not curse the land that you have called us to bless. Father, we will not curse our hands or our futures. Father, we say we are grateful. And we're going to be like the good steward who multiplies all that you put in our hands. Somebody said amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.